This is Saving Grace, Living in the Light of God's Love, a broadcast ministry of Grace Center for Spiritual Development and Grace School of Theology, a seminary to the world, committed to the truth of Scripture and life application through the lens of grace. And now, our program. Hello, I'm Carmen Pate, and I'm your host for today's program. You know, one of my fondest childhood memories was fishing with my dad. He otherwise was a pretty harsh man who had a lot of unresolved baggage. But when we were on a boat on the Little Red River in Arkansas, fishing for trout or brim, he became a different person, a person that I enjoyed being with. You know, he often commented that on the river is where he could worship God best. And I was always glad to hear that because he didn't attend church with us. You know, those memories came flooding back as I read an enjoyable yet powerful little book titled Fishing for Life, Insights for Living from a Jerk at the End of a Line. Yes, it's a book about fishing, but oh, it's so much more. The author, and also our guest today, takes us beyond the fish on the end of the line to capture the lessons of life and the beauty that surrounds them all while enjoying the skills of fishing. Our guest is Dr. Charles Bing. He's the founder and director of Grace Life Ministries. He earned his master's and his doctorate in theology from Dallas Theological Seminary. Dr. Bing has served 25 years in pastoral ministry. He's a co-founder of Free Grace Alliance and is a former president of that organization. He has authored several books, including Simply by Grace, Lordship Salvation, Living in the Family of Grace, among others. And today, we want to explore together with Dr. Bing his book, Fishing for Life. Welcome back to Saving Grace, Dr. Bing. Well, thank you, Carmen. Good to be back. Oh, you know, my memory of fishing as a child is is about the extent of my fishing experience. But I can tell you that I could not put your book down. Your detail brought me to those many places across America and the Caribbean islands that you that you went to. Uh, and I could sense your love of fishing through it all. I'd love to ask you if you were to just list three or four reasons why you love to fish, what would you say? Well, I think you're an illustration of one of the reasons is it just gives you a good memory and a good memory of good times outdoors. And I think that's the reason I like to fish so much is because it gets me outdoors where things are simple, sometimes predictable, sometimes unpredictable. And you have to be a real student of the outdoors to appreciate things like fishing or hunting or whatever you're trying to do. And it brings your skills of observation uh, to the surface. And uh, I just love being outdoors. It's it's just a beautiful setting. But there's the other point, part of it too, which is uh, the challenge of catching a fish in its own element. So you're, you're on its turf, so to speak. And so you have to learn to think like a fish, which shouldn't be too hard since I don't think fish have big brains, but you know, they're, they, they know how to survive in a tough environment. Uh, yeah. But the excitement of, of catching something from a different world, because usually we, we see water, we just see a, a glare of water, and yet we were able to bring it out of its world into our world. And just uh, just the thrill of, uh, of and the challenge of doing that, I guess, has always appealed to me. Oh, yes. Well, I can certainly see why. Well, who would you say is your target audience for your book? And, and what are you hoping that your audience will take from it? 
Well, here's what happened. I, I love stories, and I record my fishing stories for over the years. And uh, I, I do the same with my hunting stories, which is coming out sometime in the future. But uh, I started to think about – I started to look for a book. There are some books written for fishermen, but they're written from a Christian perspective to Christians, kind of like devotionals. I looked for a book that would present the gospel clearly to an unbelieving fisherman, and I could not find one. And huh. there's there's 55 million people in America that like to fish. And when I found out some of them could read, I said, well, you know what? <laughs> I said, uh, I would like to use my stories to draw them into the book and then weave into it observations about life and about God and then and and eventually about the gospel, but not in a preachy way. And so that's what I do. The gospel comes out most clearly in the afterward. And I tell people, hey, if you don't want to hear it, just put the book down, tight lines. But if you want to know about how to have eternal life, just keep reading a few more pages. So that's the reason. And and what I have found is exactly what you say is that many people will buy the book for their husbands or friends, mm -hmm. uh, wives or whatever. But they read it themselves and they say, you know, I really like the stories. And yeah. even though they don't, they're not fishermen necessarily. So that's been an interesting side blessing. Oh, no doubt about it. Well, I, I love the format of the book and uh, your target audience. It's just beautifully done. Beautifully done. Thank you. Well, you share that your love for fishing was passed on from your dad and started when you were about four years of age. Could you invite our listeners into that moment in time when you hooked that first fish and fishing hooked you, as you said? Yeah. Well, it's 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 hard to remember exactly the first fish I caught because we were always doing something in the creek nearby, but we used to go to a lake in our area that was real accessible and close to home. So even after work, my dad would take us up there and we would usually throw out a worm under a bobber. And that was the most exciting thing to see. That There's nothing more exciting in life than seeing that bobber start to wiggle or start mm. to skim along the surface because you know there's a fish pulling it. But most exciting was when that bobber would just disappear under the water. And now you know something's big on there. And and then you, you catch a fish, and usually they were just uh, uh, bluegills, sunfish, and occasional bass. But just the, the thrill of that excitement, anticipation, uh, the optimism about what you could catch, and then actually catching a fish, it, it really hooked me. And, uh, it's, it's you know, we say the tug is the drug. When the fish get bigger and you feel that pull on the line, it really is uh, kind of an addicting thing for people. Yes, yes. So exciting. And particularly for children, too. We've had a couple of our grandkids, uh, a couple of our grandsons this summer uh, on separate occasions. Bob took them fishing, uh, and each of them caught their first fish, though they had been many times wow. fishing. But they each caught their first fish, were thrilled. And, of course, we did all sorts of things while they were with us. But when you ask them what they enjoyed most, it was catching that fish. <laughs> so it is a beautiful thing. Well, you know, you talked about weaving in some spiritual things throughout your book. And, and again, you just did it in such a beautiful way. And, and one was a story, of, if you could just kind of recount that story, a fishing encounter, I guess you would say, with a school bully and a nemesis that really had an unexpected eternal impact on your life down the road. Would you tell our listeners about Jerry 
and the circumstances that changed your life. Sure. Jerry was uh, my neighbor, actually, and he was in our school also. He was in our class. Uh, but he, he was kind of a bully in the neighborhood. He liked to pick fights. He liked to, to just cause trouble. Uh, and and so one day we were fishing down at the little local creek and catching little chubs. And uh, he comes up and insists on letting us try. So, you know, you don't want to start a fight, so you let him try. And he hooked a fish, and that was good enough for him, and he, he goes off. But but Jerry had quite a story to him. During my childhood, he was a nemesis in the fact that he always was wanting to fight or throwing rocks at us or something. But when we got into our teenage years um, and to a rebellious stage in my life, he had kind of always been rebellious, a rebellious stage in my life. He, I started to follow him in some of his rebellious ways, and he started – Actually, he got me started smoking marijuana and things like that. And um, then we ended up partying a lot together. And um, we did that. He he and he got, he developed a drug habit. I did not, uh, but he did, he was into hard drugs and he went to the army, got discharged because of that, and was forced to go to a rehab program called Teen Challenge. And there, Teen Challenge, he became a Christian. And he would come back after that and talk to me about it. And I wasn't too interested in, in changing my lifestyle, but I listened and I was curious. Uh, and so, but he kind of got drawn back into the lifestyle of partying and drugs um, with me. And one night we were out at a party and he uh, took an overdose of drugs. I didn't know he was going to do it. I saw him buy it. I got mad at him because I thought that would mess up our whole party if he started doing those drugs. And anyway, long story short, we went home. Uh, we got in a big fight that night, and then we went home. And uh, a little bit later, he comes over, and we make up, and uh, we go out, and we get some more drinks and beer or something. You know, we're not even of age at this point. I think we're 17 or 18. And... Um, Go back home at three o'clock in the morning and say, see you tomorrow. And next thing I know, my wife, my wife, no, not my wife. I wasn't married. My mother waking me up at three in the morning, nine in the morning saying, hey, wake up. Jerry's dead. He had died in his sleep. He had taken those drugs in his sleep. And um, he was 18 years old. I was 18 years old. And that just sobered me up. And I got to thinking, you know, I'm heading down that same path. And you think that teenagers are invincible, but I started to realize the same thing could happen to me. So I started to change my life externally, cutting my hair and 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 getting a job and things like that. And it was about six months later in that job, I met a young lady who shared the gospel with me. And in the summer of 1973, about a year, year after Jerry's death or so, um, I came to know the Lord. Mm-hmm. Mm, praise the Lord. Yes. Yeah. Well, mm. well and the, it's, story, the story is even more wonderful than that because his brother and his father came to know the Lord also. Oh, that's awesome. We never know what's going to happen and what the encounters that we've had in life and where they'll lead us. But God knows. God knows. Yeah. Well, you know, your childhood and teen years were full of fishing stories along the creeks and the Potomac River and Washington, D.C. area. You started out with bamboo poles and court bobbers because uh, the simplicity of it certainly didn't matter, but your heart was set on something bigger. Uh, you talk about how fly fishing and faraway places was really what you dreamed of. And you share an experience in Spillway Creek in Beaver's Bend State Park in Oklahoma 
that started as a very difficult and frustrating morning, casting doubt on your fly fishing dreams. But you said God showed up in an unusual way, didn't he? Yeah. Well, I love the fly fish. And so we went to this uh, southeast Oklahoma stream, which is almost like being in the Rockies, the way it's structured. And it's a very popular place for fly fishermen. And so when we arrived at the parking lot, I started to put on all their, my gear. Well, I realized I didn't have my, I think it was my reel that I had left back at the cabin. So I had to go drive back there, killing about a, 45 minutes. Got back to the parking lot, and the sun's beating down, and I'm putting on all my gear and threading the lures. And make you can't have barbs on your hook, making sure I press them down with pliers. And one frustrating thing after another uh, so about an hour and a half later, I'm dripping sweat because it's going to get cold in the evening in October. I'm dripping sweat. I'm frustrated about all the things that have gone wrong. My friend has already been fishing about an hour. I finally join him and, you know, catch one or two small fish. And so that was that for that day. But the next morning we got up and we hit the stream early. And that morning there was just this, I was fishing near these rocks and this, mist is coming off the water and then the sun peeks out behind the trees and it just is a a real ethereal uh, mystical type of scene mystical pun intended uh, type of scene and I threw my friend the camera and I said here take a picture take some pictures and uh, one of those pictures on the cover of the book another's on the inside of the book Uh, but it was just a beautiful setting and then to catch a few trout and to see a, a deer walk across the stream at the same time, just re- reminded me that uh, fishing can be a big hassle sometimes, but sometimes it's worth the hassle because you have those beautiful moments where just God sh- God shows up and and everything everything works right. Oh yes, I love that story because that's the way our life is too, isn't it? You know, mm-hmm. every, it can be so frustrating and such a hassle and all the chaos and all the noise. And, and yet there'll be uh, some, it might be a sunset or a sunrise or whatever, where God just is there. And it's like, he is begging for your attention. (laughs) Uh, And when you give him that attention, uh, it's a beautiful experience. No doubt, no doubt about it. Well, you humbly admit that you don't always catch fish. Uh, you say that it's why it's called fishing, not catching. Right. I love that. Uh, well, certainly there are life lessons learned early on by fishermen regarding their dry spells, if you will. You noted that one of your favorite Bible stories is found in the 21st chapter of the Gospel of John. Remind us of that story and explain why it's significant to you. This is a story about after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, his apostle, his, uh, at least Peter and some of the uh, disciples are going back to fishing because that's what they knew to do. And I'm sure they were a bit disoriented by the death of Christ and um, they weren't catching anything. They weren't having any luck. And Jesus tells them to throw the net on the uh, right side of the boat and then they catch more fish than they can haul in. Actually, 153 fish. And uh, Peter recognizes Jesus as the Lord and and it comes to him and they they enjoy a nice breakfast together. It reminds us of the story of Luke chapter five, where Jesus told Peter to do the same thing. And surely that must have been Peter's mind in his thinking. And the lesson from that is not about fishing. It's about doing what the Lord says to do. And I think there is an, an application there for fishing for men. We can't do that without the Lord's help. He has to direct us and tell us what to do. And we, when we follow in obedience, we can catch fish, so to speak, or fish for men successfully. 
Um, yeah. And I think he was doing that because he was just ready to commission Peter into ministry in John 21 after his restoration. So it's a great story about the restoration of Peter and the beginning of his ministry and the lesson learned that we have to depend on the Lord for everything uh, to be fruitful or to catch fish, so to speak. Oh, yes. Yes, absolutely. And just so our listeners know, you're you're telling fishing stories all through and then you throw in these little nuggets uh, of, of, of just time with the Lord just for a moment. And it just takes us back. And I appreciated that so much. Well, if you don't mind, I'd like to return to the story of your dad. You said that he was your tutor when it came to fishing, uh, but he also taught you things like patience and hard work and honesty and commitment and frugality, all wonderful things. But like my dad, your dad could be difficult, you said. As you began to grow in your relationship with Christ, you did find grace to forgive, uh, but you say there's some things you regret that didn't happen sooner. Uh, Share the reason for your regret and and the hope that you now have for seeing your dad again. Yeah, uh, sure. My my father was a good man. He he was faithful to the family and uh, provided for us. He didn't drink at all, Um, but he was uh, emotionally kind of abusive and would yell a lot and things like that. And, of course, that would turn us off. The only time we really seemed to have common ground was when we went fishing, and I did learn a lot from him. He was very patient and in fishing, and, and he was always willing to take us. Uh, but in my teenage years, in my rebellious years, of course, things went sideways with him, and, and uh, I did a lot of things, I'm sure, that caused him grief. To think back to the things I did and to imagine that my kids – would have done some of that to me just, uh, uh, you know, really uh, hurts my heart today. Um, so uh, in my teenage years, I wasn't too interested in going fishing with him. Even after I became a Christian, I just became so busy with school and friendships and, and activities that uh, he would, you know, sometimes ask me, do you want to go down to the stream? I'm catching trout down there. And um, and I I just didn't have time. Uh, I was was nice, but I just said, well, I'm, I'm sorry, I just can't do it. And looking back, I wish I had made the time because, uh, you know, we, our time with our parents is always limited and there would have been a good memory. And I think that he was actually trying to build back a re- the relationship as I look back, something that uh, I, I didn't see at that time. If I had seen that, maybe I would have taken some time to go fishing with him, but uh, anyway, there reached a point in my my early Christian life where I went to my parents and I asked them both to forgive me for my rebellious behavior. And I think that caught my father's attention. He wasn't <laughs> he didn't react real good to that. But uh, but he did later on. You could tell that he had it had penetrated his conscience. And and so he began to support what I was doing in seminary training and things like that. And um and he eventually came to know the Lord on his deathbed, and I had been praying for him so, you know, every day since I had been saved. And he came to know the Lord on his deathbed, and um, he said to keep on doing what I'm doing. And he didn't understand it at first, but now he was fully supportive. So, um, yeah, it, it ends well, and I'm looking forward to seeing him again in heaven. And absolutely, uh, along with my mother. Absolutely, yeah. yes. But but a good life lesson for us all. We we you know none of us are promised tomorrow, and those that we love the most uh, 
we long after they're gone for those precious times that we had with them, uh, even through the tough times. So I really appreciate you you sharing that. Uh, really do. Well, sure. I, we're going to have you back next week, but there's a the story that I want you to, to share, if you will. Uh, so many stories that we haven't hit on. But if you will close today with a story of catching your first ever steelhead uh, on the Willamette River, right in the middle of Eugene, Oregon, and the life lesson that God gave you there. Yeah, well, I've tried to catch a steelhead in my visits to Oregon. I, and the reason I get to fish so many places is largely because I travel in ministry. And so whenever I'm in a place, I try to bring my rod or borrow a rod or something and fish something new. But I'd been to Oregon quite a few times and tried to fish for a steelhead, catch a steelhead. I wanted to do that. They're ocean-going rainbow trout, basically. And, you know, they get eight, eight pounds maybe the first year and then 20 pounds if they come back a second year up the stream, something like that. Um, but they're very difficult to catch. The, their run is kind of sparse in, in Oregon. And they're called the fish of a thousand casts because you just have to work and work and work. And if you hook one or two during the day, that's considered a good day. And then if you hook a, hook a steelhead, there's a 50% chance you're not going to bring it in. It's going to get off the hook. So uh, I had uh, my, my pastor friend out there, Steve Hill, uh, had a friend in his church named Greg Hatton who makes wooden boats, uh, beautiful wooden river boats. And um, he offered to take me out fishing and uh, went with him in this beautiful boat. And he knew how to, uh, where the holes were and so forth. And we, what they call swinging flies in the current behind the boat. And uh, hooked up with a really nice steelhead and was fighting him. And... Um, got him up near the boat. The water was shallow enough for Greg to step out of the boat and with his net. He was real proud of this net from Costa Rica that somebody had sent him from Costa Rica who made fishing nets, but it was kind of small. So he went to hook this eight or nine pound steelhead and got it in the net, but it flipped out. And, you know, those, those steelhead are very strong. So it flipped out, went back in the water. Uh, so I'm lucky to get it in the net to begin with. Now it's it's tangled in the line. The line's wrapped around it. And so I'm thinking, oh, boy, I'm going to lose this fish. But we were able to get it back in the net and land it this time. Um, and so that was my first steelhead adventure. And Greg did a great job. And I didn't know it the whole time, but he was filming the whole thing on a GoPro. And uh, GoPros were new to me back then, but he had them in the boat. He had them on his hat and everything. And he put a little video out on YouTube called uh, Lonesome Steelhead because he used the music from Lonesome Dove since I was from Texas. So it's a it's a really neat little video to watch. You can see the whole story I just told there on Lonesome. If you Google Lonesome Steelhead on or go to YouTube. Uh, but the lesson there is, you know, first of all, you know, persistence. And you, you can eventually reach your goal. I did hook a steelhead, but then I was going. Then I lost it virtually when it jumped out of the net, and you know something like that usually tears the lure out of the mouth or something. But we were able to get it back in the net, and so we had a second chance. And uh, I guess the lesson I draw from that is that God gives us second chances. He's the God of second chances. He never tires of new beginnings, and 
no matter uh, what kind of failure you think you've had um, or uh, whatever seems to uh, impede your progress or inhibit you uh, from your goal, uh, God can overcome that if you're patient. And even if you fail, God can give you a second chance. Even when you fall and stumble, God gives a second chance. He's a God of second chances. So uh, I just drew that lesson from that little experience and that story. Hmm. That's, I love that. I love that. Well, in closing, it's, it's obvious from your book that not only do you love fishing, but you love to help other people learn to fish. Uh, what, what is your motive when you're helping someone learn to fish? I just want them to feel the kind of joy that uh, I feel when I fish. And uh, it, it gives them a sense of accomplishment to catch a fish. It puts a big smile on their faces. I think a lot of reason people don't like to fish today when I talk to them is because they didn't have a good experience at first and they didn't catch anything. It was just a boring day of sitting in a boat or standing on a bank or something. And nobody really showed them how to do it and have success. And so I like to show people how to have success, take them a place. I know that they can catch something, show them some real yeah. simple things. And they get that, they get just a great feeling of accomplishment by catching their own fish. Uh, it seems like a small thing in life, but, uh, but to them, it's something they'll remember the rest of your life, just like you, you do. And I do, um, it's a story and they'll, they'll remember it, but, uh, so it's very gratifying. And then I see these, uh, young people that I taught, uh, down the river now with their children. And, uh, and, and that's good because I can ask them where the fish are <laughs> and, and, get, and get fishing tips from them. So. Oh, that's beautiful. And I, you know, I, I just uh, love you talk throughout the book about seeing someone that maybe they were doing something incorrectly and you could interrupt and, and, and help them out or show them where a good spot was. And uh, and that does mean a lot because you want them to ha enjoy the fishing, uh, but to develop a love for it. Uh, and again, I, I love that you drew a, a spiritual analogy even there that, that, you know, if you don't catch anything, there there's nothing to keep you coming back. You might wander away. Uh, and that sometimes happens with our faith. Uh, yeah. We're not looking to try to just feel good, but we do want to be hooked into loving Jesus and uh, where we where we stay with him forever. And, and certainly uh, just reading his word every day draws that draws us to that love, doesn't it? Well, thank you so much, so much for sharing with us today. We are going to have you back next week because there's a lot more stories to tell, uh, and we look forward to continuing that discussion. And I want to thank our listeners for tuning in. The book is Fishing for Life, and you can find more about Dr. Charles Bing, his books, his ministry, uh, in our program notes on our website at gsot.edu. That's gsot.edu. While there, check out the many courses offered through Grace School of Theology uh, for seminary degrees, and also check out Grace Center for Spiritual Development, where we have a lot of Bible studies for growth in your knowledge and love for the Lord. Please tell others about saving grace. And remember, the love of Christ can never be earned and can never be lost. You've been listening to Saving Grace. For more information about Grace Center for Spiritual Development or this program, visit our website at gsot.edu 
slash center or download the Grace app through your smartphone. Views expressed on this program may not always be the views of Grace School of Theology or its leadership.